Thank you, Georgia. If you're part of our youth group, she's our family, and we have enjoyed her and been blessed by her for quite some time now. Well, happy Father's Day again. Um, I wanted to spend just a few minutes with you uh, talking about the topic of dads, but I think it can apply to all of us. I love the, the definition of dad, a male parental figure that is present and participating in a child's life. In a sentence, the child went to the zoo with her dad, and the synonym for that is daddy. So I love that. Um, I want to share with you, did you know you can Google anything? And so I Googled, uh, what are people known for? And Google has done a study of the top 10 people that have been Googled. And so, so the most famous, and so I want to say their name. I didn't have the pictures up. I want to say their name, and somebody blurred out if you can. So this is a participatory part of the message. So I'm going to say their name, and if you know what you think they're known for, then, then uh, say it. If it's wrong, we'll try not to laugh. So uh, Sir Isaac Newton, it's number 10. That's right. Did you know that, that people, an average of 1 million people per month search his name? Is that not crazy? And that there is over 400,000 books written about him or uh, parts of him in, that, in those books. All right, Leonardo da Vinci, number nine. That's right. He's been searched for 4 million times a month. And there's over 600,000 books that have in some way or form uh, him in them. All right. See, uh, number eight, William Shakespeare. That's right, that's right. Playwright, exactly. 7.4 million people have searched for him a month. That kind of blows my mind. You know, I mean, I don't know if I've ever really searched for him on Google. So, uh, more than a million books with his name in them. Uh, Adolf Hitler. See, not so much good things, but are still well known. Did you know that over 6.1 million search his name uh, per month and over 170,000 books? Okay, the Apostle Paul. Okay, he's number six. What's he famous for? Or what is he known for? One of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, correct, that God used. 3.35 million people have searched his name. Uh, per month, and there's over 7 million books or articles that are referenced to him. Okay, number five, Buddha. I'd say his real name, but I can't pronounce it. So, 4 million people per month search for him, over 7 million books written him. Number four, at least at top five, as Christians, we're represented Moses. So, over 2.7 million searches per month, and over 8 million books that have either been written or have him referenced. Now, this is per Google. Of course, you know it's all true. If it's on Google, it's true. If it's on the Internet, it's true. Okay, number three, Abraham. Abraham, what's he famous for? What's he known for? Father Abraham. I mean, do we need to sing the song? Father Abraham. Okay, 9.1 million searches per month, over 2 million books. Number two, Muhammad, over 13.6 million searches per month. And they basically said it's incalculable how many books have been written about him or have him referenced. And then number one, Jesus. 
Jesus. That gives me a little bit of hope, you know, for, for the world. Over 24.9 million searches per month. Isn't that interesting? That's a whole message right there in and of itself that 24.9 million people. Because the Bible says that no one seeks after God on their own, right? So if somebody types in the name of Jesus in Google and hits search, what does that mean? God's drawn. That God's working. That over 24.9 million people a month. God in some way form is working. And it makes interesting the, the passage, the fields are ripe unto harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more harvesters. We have so much to do. Well, let me ask you, we all want to or say this, we all want to be known for something, don't we? You know, we all want to be known. When people say our name or think of us, I wonder what they think of. I wonder what comes to mind. I wonder what we're famous for. I want to look at someone in the Bible, and I think there's some lessons that we can learn from a life that was well-known, of a well-known biblical character, and that's Moses. Did you know that Moses is the most important prophet in Judaism? He's also an important prophet in Christianity, Islam, and the Baha'i faith. I thought that was really interesting. And a number of other Abrahamic religions. I think apart from Jesus, he is referenced more in the New Testament than any other person. That's very interesting. I want to look at Abraham. And you know, we've been, if you read your Bible through the first couple of months, you know, you're reading about all that God's in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you know, I, I really still have to ask, Lord, tell me what is Leviticus there for? You know, I mean, I read it, every word, I read it, you know, and, and it's just, I thank God for Jesus because there's no way that I could ever keep up with all that. That's in Leviticus, so church does point to a Savior. But here's four things I want to share with you today as quickly as possible of what I think about when I think about dads. And you know, I've been blessed. I was thinking last night, we were on our way back home from the wedding, and every significant, every male, all my grandfathers on both sides, my great uncles, you know, I've had nothing but strong, godly men in my life. And I didn't really realize it until I started thinking about it. You know, of just of teaching me. You know, I love to build things. Not just biblical truths, but I love to build things. Why? Because my grandfather was pretty much a master carpenter. and He could build anything. You know, I learned to work on cars. Why? Because my dad made me and he taught me. You know, learned some things I probably didn't need to learn and tried to unlearn. But then, you know, I've learned so much. And, and so I've had been so grateful and thankful. And I'm going to tell you, if you've not had a strong, godly man in your life, it breaks my heart. You know, it breaks my heart, but maybe God wants you to be one. If you're a man, God wants you. I know God wants you to be one. The first thing I think about when I look at the life of Moses is, is he's well known for his faith, his faith in God. I love in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it talks about the faith of Moses. Verse 23 says it like this. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying their fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. 
It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. You see, Abraham, I mean, Moses is known as a person of faith. Faith in God to do what, to trust God to do what he said that he would do. To be who he said he would be. To have the answers for the direction that he wanted Moses to go. And to provide for everything along the way. And see, this faith changed Moses. Exodus 34 talks about that in verse 29. It says, when Moses came down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Man, how incredible is that? To, be, to walk so intently with the Lord that it changes the very person of who you are. You know, I know three men, three men that I've had the pleasure to meet that I could definitely say that when you encountered them, you saw the presence of God and you encountered the presence of God. The first one was uh, Henry Blackaby. Many of y'all, if you've ever done Experiencing God, you know, Henry's youngest son, Norman, was my prayer partner in seminary. And literally when Henry came and he opened his mouth, it was as if God stepped right out. I felt closer to God just being around him. The second one was Dr. James Leo Garrett, who was the, Old Testament, uh, who was the professor of Old Testament theology at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. God's seminary. No, I'm joking. So it is one of God's seminaries. But uh, he was, uh, wrote two huge volumes of systematic theology. This man had a brain that God had given him like none other. And I was so afraid when he came to be our interim pastor at a little bitty church, Oak Grove Baptist Church, of about 120 people. And he came to be our interim pastor. And when he had one of those old Timex watches, I've told you all the story, and when he would turn it over and put it in the palm of his hand, you better grab your pencil because you're about to learn something. But the most gentle, the most humble person, and literally, when you got around him, God just kind of eked off of him. So sweet, so loving, was so gentle to my family and to my children. And man, I'm going to tell you what, he had such an incredible brain that God had given him and all to share the gospel. And the last one was Dr. Henry Brandt. And when I met him, he was well into the illness of Parkinson's. And I never, I, and, and he was a counselor that left the counseling field to become a biblical counselor than a wor- and so it's like the biblical counselors kind of were leaning on the world's ways of counseling and he was leaning on God's ways and worked, uh, wrote this great book, Word of the Wise. And I'm tell you what, you could talk to him within a matter of two or three words, God, could, God gave him the discernment to, to point to your very sin that you had in your life. I never said anything around him except for, hi, my name is Bobby, you know? And I think he still knew all my junk, you know what I mean? So I didn't want to say anything, but I would tell you, he, when he would preach, he quoted, I remember one time I counted, and this is, I'm tell, I know I'm from Texas, so I can exaggerate, but this is God's honest truth, that I counted him quoting over 35 passages in the New Testament, and he had his little Bible in his hand, and his hand shook so bad from Parkinson's that he, I know he couldn't read it. But then when I looked at it, you know what it was? It was a Gideon Psalms and Old Testament, you know, the little bitty pocket ones. 
but he had it in his heart. I mean, it was just incredible. And so, man, God's presence in their lives changed who they were. Their faith in God changed them. Moses was a man known by his faith, but he was also a man known by his prayerfulness. Look at Exodus 33. It said, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and to set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went, in, and as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young men who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Isn't that incredible? That when Moses would go to inquire of the Lord, people knew it, and they would just stand there waiting because they, hey, Moses went into the tent. God's about to tell us something. We know God is going to speak to him. Now, they had this visible uh, showing of that when the presence of God in the pillar of the cloud would come down and cover the temple, and God would speak to him as face to face. But how incredible and how sure were the people of Israel to stand in front of their tents? Who knows how long it took? Now, for some of us, we would probably give up within five minutes. Oh, it's five minutes. I bet you he's dead. There was some sin and God struck him dead and he's just going to be dead in there, you know. But we wouldn't wait. But they would wait for however long it took to wait to hear what God would say to him. Moses was a man of prayer. For one, he prayed for wisdom. I know he did. You know, I counted over ten major complaints from the time that they, they, he led, God used him to lead the Israelites from captivity, from Pharaoh out of captivity, Till the promised land, there were 10 major complaints that I've at least found. I'm sure there's more that the nation of Israel complained about that. Now, you tell me, how could he not handle that without praying? Do you like yin yanging and praying? You know, I've got two grandkids, one's eight and three, one's eight and one's five, and they yin yang. I, they love each other, but they yin yang all the time. You know, about this, that. I, I bet you I heard my, the youngest, the five year old, ask his brother, 10 times something, and then finally says, you know, Garrett, it's rude when you don't answer somebody. And I finally said, Garrett, why aren't you answering him? And he just would sit there and let him just ask, ask, ask the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, I know there's complaining, and it took a lot of prayer to not lay my hands on him, you know. So, <laughs> but I will if I have to, you know. Uh, breaks my heart, but just like I know it breaks God's heart when he has to spank us. But also for guidance. But not only for wisdom and guidance, you know, Moses prayed all the time intercessory prayers. Remember when he was up getting the Ten Commandments? What happened? He took too long. And the Israelites said, hey, Aaron, make this, I can never get this story in my head why they would think that. Hey, make us a golden calf so we can worship it and say this is the God that's delivered us. They all knew which God delivered them, but they did it. God knew what was happening, and man, he was, he was upset. And listen to what he says in Exodus 32. He says, The next day Moses said to the people, You've committed a terrible sin, but I will go back to the Lord on the mountain. See, God had already told Moses, I'm going I'm to destroy them. 
And Moses begged for him uh, in, the first, in the passages before that not to. He says, perhaps I'll be able to t- attain forgiveness for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. See, Moses was a man of prayer, praying, interceding on the behalf of those that God entrusted to him. Man, do we not need to be people of prayer? You know, that was one of the things that really touched my heart when we were on that trip and, uh, with, with Brian went, and to all these different ministries. And man, these people had made a mess of their life. And it really started with one simple decision. But you know, they didn't need somebody coming and telling them they messed up. They knew it. They need someone interceding on their behalf, asking God to show mercy, to guide them and lead them through repentance and restoration. Moses was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of humility, being totally dependent upon God. Look at Exodus 33, verse 12. He says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me on me, and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people of the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. See, Moses was completely dependent upon God, uh, dependent on God for his he knew he didn't have the answers for the wisdom, for the discernment. When God called him at the burning bush, he knew he needed the Lord. He says, God, I can't speak clearly. I, I need you. Will you be with me? And God told him that he would. But not only that, he needed humility for allowing God to fight his battles and to defend his honor. Remember the story when, when Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, accused him of being the only one that God could speak to? He said, look at verse, um, look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. It should be on the screen. It says, while they were at Hezeroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he spoken, hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble and more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, and said, go to the, out to the tabernacle, all three of you. Man. Never like getting my name called like that. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called. They stepped forward and the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not my servant Moses. All of, my, of all of my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with him, with them, and he departed. And as the cloud moved from the tabernacle, there stood Miriam. Her skin was as white as snow from leprosy. 
When Aaron saw what happened to her, he cried to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for the sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. Now, what would you have done? Be honest. What would you have done? I can tell you what I would have done. Ha! Told you. That's what you get. You know, think of it when you were brothers and sisters, you know, when they do something. Man, my sister liked to tattle on me all the time, and sometimes it would get her. And I'd say, see, that's what you get. Man, I, I mean, it would be hard not to get in the flesh there, but what did, what did Moses do? He said, so Moses cried out to the Lord in verse 13, Oh God, I beg you, please heal her. Man, what a person of humility. And see, he was also one in humility that didn't seek his own glory or prayer because at the story of the golden calf, do you remember what God said he was going to do? He was going to destroy them all and start over with Moses and he'd be the most powerful person ever. And Moses said, he said, I will destroy them with the plague. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than them. And what did Moses say? God, please don't do it. If you're going to destroy them, destroy me as well. But lastly, not only is he a person of faith, of prayer, and of humility, but he is also known for a man of courage. To follow his calling in Exodus 3, we see that the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of, e out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain." Now, I don't know about y'all, but I, you would have to have some kind of courage. I know when they did the census, there was over 600,000 fighting men. Over 600,000 fighting men, and God was to use him and to face the most powerful person that the Israelites had known at that time, the Pharaoh, who had pressed them for, oppressed them for years. And so he had to have courage to face the calling that God put upon him. You know, we struggle to, to, face, to have enough courage to go next door to share Jesus with our neighbor. But let alone to follow him in something grand like that. But also to face the challenges that his path before him brought. You know, becoming the leader of the Israelites, facing Pharaoh, leading and caring for such a great number of people. But then he also had to have courage in the midst of other people's failures. And you know, he brought them, God brought them to the promised land. And they sent out the 12 spies. And what happened? They came back after 40 days, and, and all of them but two said, we can't go. They're way too big. God's brought us out here to destroy us, and it upset God. And God said, I'll, I'll destroy them. I'm going to send them back into the wilderness, and I'm going to let them wander for 40 more years, and every, every fighting man, that whole generation will die, will never see the promised land except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. 
And so Moses had followed God obediently and had the courage to follow God to lead them to that point. And then, not because of his disobedience, because of the disobedience of other people, the mess that they made, he was there to wander with them 40 more years. Now think about it. How much courage do you need to put up with over 600,000 plus, a million people, you know, of whiners and complainers and to see them, friends that he knew, literally die off day after day until that whole fighting generation was gone. Man, that must take courage. That takes courage when we have our children or our friends, you know, do something that's wrong and they get in trouble for it and they have this big mess and we're there to try to help them fix it. It takes courage. Man, if you're a parent, it takes courage to be a parent. Your child will step in something, somehow, some way, that's bigger than them, that they're going to need, God's going to use you to help fix. And you have to have the courage, because what you want to say is you made this bad lie in it. But you can't. Why? Because God didn't say that to you. God didn't say that to me. And it takes courage to stay in the midst of other people's failures to follow them, but also to draw closer to the Lord. And that's why the Psalm of Moses in Psalm 90 says it like this, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. He was a man of courage. So let me ask you, what are you best known for? I know what I would like to say I'm best known for. Are you known as a person of faith? Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. That anyone who wants to come in must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Are we known as people of prayer? Life is impossible without prayer. Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians to never cease praying. And in James 5, he talks about the power of prayer. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praise. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Are you known for being a person of humility? Or are we living for ourselves more than for Christ? Psalm 138 says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, and he keeps his distance from the proud. I can't fix it, God. I need you. Every day I wake up, I know it best. I'm a needy person. Every moment, I, every night I, he gives me that I lay my head on a pillow, I know it best. I'm a needy person. God says he cares for those who are humble. Psalm 51 says, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken or humble spirit and a repentant heart, O oh God. Micah 6 says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Are you known as a person of courage? Do you trust God more? Or are you consumed by the cares of this world? I love Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And we'll close with this. I hope you're encouraged. I'm a little saddened because I sat here, I sat there all last night asking the Lord, Lord, give me a word. All this past week, Lord, give me a word. Give me, I, I knew I've been supposed to preach for a couple weeks. I've been asking him every day, Lord, give me a word for your people. Give me a word for your people. No word, no word, no word, no word, no word. All this week, every day after VBS, Lord, give me a word for your people. Will you give me a word for your people? Is my heart ready? Is my heart pure? God, I try to confess all the sins that I had. Give me a word for your people. Give me a word for your people. No word for the people. No word for the people. Got up early yesterday morning, spent all day Friday on it. Got up yesterday morning and came into office, asked the Lord, give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. And there was three or four kind of just going around, but he never gave me one to, 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 to put my hat on to say this is it. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Go to the wedding, you know, drive all the way over there to the wedding. You know, it was such a beautiful time. Asking the Lord all the way there. We didn't hardly speak three words to each other the whole way. She didn't have her iPad. I don't know what she would have done because there's not much to look at. But, um, but uh, Lord, give me a word. Lord, give me a word. Lord, give me a word. No word. Come home. Ask the Lord last night. I'm laying in bed. Lord, give me a word. What's, what's wrong with me? Why am I not hearing from you? Wake up 4.30 this morning. Can't sleep. Lord, I still don't have a word from you. You know, get cleaned up. I'm at the office drinking coffee 5.30 this morning. Lord, give me a word. Give me a word. And he gave me a word. But, you know, he gave me a word for y'all. But he spoke a word to me sitting right over there. Because as I was going through, okay, the main points are this. Is he says, Bob, you're singing about trusting in you. You're singing about you're our great deliverer and all of that. You're not trusting me now. You're not being patient for me now. You're, you're worried more about what you're going to say than on me. I mean, he spoke that word. He gave me a word there of saying, look, you need to pay attention to what I'm telling you to say to your people, to the people in just a little bit. And I, and I just had to say, God, you're right. You're right. My eyes are on me. My eyes are not on you. God, that right now, I'm not known as a person of faith. Because I'm worried. Right now, God, I know I'm not a person of prayer because I'm thinking about myself more than thinking on you. God, I know I'm not a person of humility or courage. But will you help me? Will you give me that? Maybe that's where you are, that you don't think that, that you can be known as these things. Whether you're a man or a woman or a child, we all should be known as Christ followers of people of faith, of prayer, of humility, of courage. Maybe Psalm 27, let's read this together, and, and, and this will be our time for invitation. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack, attack me, they will stumble and fail Though, the, though a mighty army surround me, and my heart, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask 
of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes, and he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach of, a hu- of, of what? of a high rock, then I will hold my head high above my enemies and surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Do you not, don't, no, <laughs> don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O oh God, my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O oh Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. If we're not people of faith, if we're not known as people of humility, people of courage, wait patiently. Ask the Lord. Lord, help us be that. Help us be people that are courageous in you, that have the faith that can move a mountain. It doesn't have to be a big faith. It just has to be the faith in the right person, in God. God, help us to worry more about you and less about ourselves, to be people that are humble. It starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have one, or if you don't know if you have one, then that's where you need to start. But you know what? That's the heart of this church, is to be known as people of God. So as Brian comes and leads us, as June plays, and we have an opportunity to respond to God, you've heard his word, his written word. If you're a dad, isn't that your heart? To have faith in God, to be a man of prayer, you're going to need it. To be humble, realizing you don't have all the answers, but you know who does. And to have the courage, it takes courage to lead your wife, to lead your children, to be the man that God's called you to be. And maybe your response is to God is, God, I'm not known as that person, but I want to be. Will you work that in me? Whatever decision that you, want, that you feel the Lord's leading you make, let's stand and let's move as Brian leads us.